there is a natural order to things. And if something is meant to happen, it will. But I think we get in the way so much. Oh, yeah. That we, we forget how music is a divinatory act, you know? And I've been thinking about that a lot. Just like the sort of like magical and shamanic aspects of music where music happens when you're not paying attention. It happens when you're in the trance. Like the real music comes when you're not aware of it. So you can't be so controlling because then that's the mind making music. But we want, I want the soul to make music. So the soul needs, it needs to be let free, but right. you can't, you can't close in on it. You can't say no. Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. And this is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we, we drew, drew the map. map. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to uh, the continuing conversation with Solo Jesus. There's more brilliant stuff where we finished off last week. I'm a, I'm a great admirer of uh, Susan Cesani, who was, you know, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing her second name right, I never know, um, who was the first sort of uh, acolyte of Don Buchler with the, the, the Buchler synthesizer back in the, the 70s. And she's, you know, in her seventies now, but she said, you know, she, she started learning about playing this, this big machine it was like a big sort of, you know, alchemists, you know, it was like, it was like magic to play it. It wasn't, and it wasn't musical. It was this magical thing. And she played it and she got a lot of things to, to happen, you know, and back in the seventies, she was doing like a lot of advertising stuff for people like Pepsi making weird sounds because nobody else could make them. And then they said, well, you should make an album. And she was kind of terrified. She was like, oh, how am I going to make an album? And she said, she put this notice on the studio door, uh, nothing to be done and everything will be done. Yeah, that's exactly how I've been working on my next record is just letting it, I'm saying I'm letting it write itself. Yeah. And then when someone asks me how it's going, I go, I'm letting the chi flow. I'm just letting the chi flow. The chi right. is flowing, then it's right. Yeah. If the chi is blocked, yeah. I will get in the way to unblock it. But if it's the, you know, I'm just saying yes until the very last stage and then I can go in and then I can shape everything. But why say no until you know, you don't know, no one knows, you know? Wow. Well, it's, you just blow my mind there because <laughs> about four years ago, you know, things were at a particularly bad impasse. And I just said to myself, okay, this year I'm going to say yes to everything yeah. anybody asks me something i'm gonna go yes okay yes okay <laughs> Every, yes. everything to this point has come from that so i understand so low, well when you said to me we should do something together my head went mm, what does he mean i don't know <laughs> but i went yeah see yeah, now it's good idea. now you gotta start doing it too. and see now you have all of this stuff because you said yes and that's I know. it's cool i think we don't realize how much comes from invitation but and also just the the natural order of things like there is a natural order to things and if something is meant to happen it will but i think we get in the way so much oh yeah that we we forget how music is a divinatory act you know and i've been thinking about that a lot just like the sort of like magical and shamanic aspects of music where 
music happens when you're not paying attention. It happens when you're in the trance. Like the real music comes when you're not aware of it. So you can't be so controlling because then that's the mind making music. But we want, I want the soul to make music. So the soul needs, it needs to be let free, but right. you can't, you can't close in on it. You can't say no. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely true what you're saying. I, I was, uh, I was watching an interview with um, Joni Mitchell yesterday and uh, she said something I thought was very, very interesting. She said, you know, the, the interviewer said, well, you know, a lot of you, you complain about a lot of people don't uh, understand you or they misrepresent you. And she said, well, she said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm everything they say I am, but I'm also nothing that they say I am. I'm, I'm you know, and that's what we forget sometimes. Yes, you know, we're, we're guys that have done music for 40 years or whatever, 50 years. Um, but we're also guys that have just done it today and done something today. And we should always be like that and always get that, that flow. You're right, because it, it comes from that point. I mean, when I go on stage, a lot of the time, I don't get stage fright. You know, for me, my heart rate goes down when I, when I get on stage a lot of the time, which is maybe a bit psychopathic. I don't know, but it's, you know, it, it kind of works that way. But if it really works that way well, you can play for hours and step off and it doesn't feel like anything's happened it's just like innovated you know you've yeah. you've channeled something you haven't you haven't necessarily commanded something you just channeled it and when it goes wrong and your head gets in the way then then everything hurts when you come off and and everything doesn't work you know so yeah um you're right about the the, the shamanic uh, aspect of it and and the fact that it it has to come from your soul it, it's you, you're a conduit that's what i believe anyway. yeah totally but there's you know there's that that has its own level of training because it's i think it's e humans like we want the mind we think the mind can control everything but it's really in letting go that you really see just like what we're capable of and i didn't realize that and i was holding on so tight to my creative process and trying to do everything myself and everything was so ego driven. Like I did this, I wrote this, like I produced all of this, right? You know, and just like letting it go and going, look, that's not music. That's a, that's a, that's an exam that I'm taking. You know, I don't <laughs> yeah. want to make, I don't want to take yeah. exams. I want to make music, but and that comes from a whole different game. At least for me, I gotta, yeah. I gotta slow my roll way, way harder. <laughs> yeah as Zola Jesus as the live performance uh, how much is scripted and how much is allowed to be spontaneous uh usually the set is set in stone so I know where I'm going and then uh, and then it's just I'm just kind of free it's free jazz you know I mean like I'm doing the songs or whatever and and they're in a specific order and that gives me a set of those are my limits of control and then from there the actual performance is usually very um, intuitive and right. like of the moment. Sometimes I'll like get into doing a certain move, like every song, like just cause I'm like, Oh yeah, this worked yesterday. But then sometimes I'm like, yeah, I don't feel like doing that today. Um, so it's, yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah. And I'm from the, if you like the recordings, which I imagine could just come from anywhere. They 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 can start in a, the process can start, and you, what as you say, you sculpt things at the end. Does that process also then go? You have to take that process to the next to the live thing. You say, well, how? What unit do I need to do this? Yeah, that's going to be really interesting, especially this this record I'm working on. It's just again, 
I don't, it's so weird working on a record and not knowing how it's going to sound at the end. I'm not used to yeah. that. Usually I know it's, like, <laughs> it's got vibe. It's got style. Like this is the thing. This is what I'm going yeah. for. But, but when you're kind of going in like this, like letting the chi flow, the chi will take you wherever it needs to. Like, and so there's a point where I'm like, I got I don't know how this is, where this is going to go live, but you figure that out later. So can we just send the, the, you know, the promoters? Like, can we just tell them what to expect? No. Yeah. No, yeah, <laughs> no stage no, no. plot. The stage plot just can be a giant X. <laughs> yeah. A question mark. Do you trust your yourself? Who do you do you have like a, a go to soundboard? You know, does it is there somebody who let me consult? <laughs> yeah. Well. I'm with a label, Sacred Bones, who's, uh, they're like an independent mm -hmm. label out of Brooklyn. Right. And I've been with them for about 10 years. I went to mute for a record, but then came back because they're, right. they're my family. Like I, I, I've yeah. known the, 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 the founder, the, the guy of Sacred Bones, right. Caleb, <laughs> yeah. okay. uh, for a long time, but, but he's somebody that I, I go to sometimes, but I don't know. I, I also just kind of use my intuition about what I think would resonate, but I also, you know, ask family members. Sometimes I'll ask people that aren't in the music world, you know, some right. fresh ears. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah, you, you've got to get a lot of feedback, I think, though I, I don't usually. That must be very reassuring that you have that long, that long relationship with people you trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm very, I feel very grateful for that. Who sounds like they're not interfering in, in any way. They, they just like- No. You know, they they know they know what you're up to. Oh. <laughs> well, they don't know yeah. what you're up to, but they trust you. You know. Yeah, you know, they're in it for the love, and I know that. You know. To a certain extent, I think I, I feel grateful that at the beginning of, of the, the the Cures uh, journey, we we kind of found a way to do that as well. You know, because we were very aware that. We couldn't really be part of any any, any particular. You know, it's like I always say that old Groucho Marx um, quotation. You know, I wouldn't want to be a member of any club that would have me as a member. We 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 didn't really want to be part of anything, but we realised to get somewhere we have to, you know, do a little bit. So we found a you know a reasonable manager and a reasonable independent label. And at the beginning, we didn't we didn't really spend a lot of money on anything. So by the time we got to the second album, we weren't beholding to the, the, the bigger record company down the line to do anything. So if they said, well, now we want you to do this, we'd go, uh, no, we're not going to do that. We'd like to do this instead. And we could do it because we were self-sufficient, you know, and that was really the best. When when I get, you know, younger musicians ask me, well, what, what, what do we do? How do we do this thing? The, the, the main thing I always say to them is, well, one, you have to do it because you love it. Because if you do it because you think you're going to be famous or successful or anything like that, forget it. Stop now. But if you can't do anything else, if you have to live this, do it. And then the other thing is, you know, make it so that you're self-sufficient, so that you're not uh, always beholding to, to somebody else. Because it, then it becomes their vision. It doesn't become your vision. It becomes their vision. And if it goes wrong, then it's your fault. And, you know, it, it's just a very bad situation. A lot of a lot of people find themselves in. And from very early on, we didn't have that kind of situation because we, we sort of sidestepped it 
a, a little bit. We were a bit very frugal at the beginning. I think that's 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 Robert's northern roots. You know, he's very very frugal with stuff. And is, then is, you he, know, is he from the north? He's from Blackpool, isn't he's he? He's from Blackpool. Yeah, yeah. But he only moved to where you know down south where I was later on. You know, isn't that funny? So Mark Holman came from Southport, which is just down the coast from yeah. Blackpool. Yeah. Both of them ho- holiday resorts where people went to retire. Yeah. <laughs> not the most, not the most happening cities or towns, even in, in no, well, mo- most of the places you know where good, good art comes from is not you know the capital city of the place or the most yeah. exciting place. You know, I I remember um, a couple of years ago. Trent Reznor gave a, a speech at our induction into the uh, Hall of Fame, and he said, "You know, I grew up looking out on cornfields in the middle of nowhere, and and you know, the Cure was coming through the radio, and that was the thing that that was my you know ticket to my way out listening to that. Mm-hmm. And I think, for a greater or lesser extent, f- for us, because we didn't grow up right in the centre of London, we were on the outskirts. We we were unaffected by." what was mm. going what was you know the new fashionable thing we were mm-hmm. we could feel the pulse of it but nika you you had to leave you you headed for seattle yeah i, went, I lived in la for a couple of years um but i didn't mm. i couldn't cut it so that, <laughs> i moved to seattle and uh first in a, an island uh off of seattle and then seattle proper but uh got the call to come home to Wisconsin. I built a house in the woods out here just because I like being near family. You know, you tour so much that when you're home, you just want to be near people that you care about. Um, at least for me, that's the case. So that's where yeah, I am. You need now. a place that, that uh, somehow is a, a spiritual strength as well. Yeah. Absolutely. To ground you. Yeah. yeah. What kind of house did you build? It's a black metal box. <laughs> In the woods, it's just a box. Really? Yeah. I thought it was going to be like you know an A-frame, crook frame house in you know, yeah. logs. No, <laughs> no. Is it kind of like uh, you know keeps out radiation and? <laughs> it better. It better with this black metal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's cool. It's a, it's a little. It's a, it's it's not a big house. It's just got like two bedrooms, but it's all I need. And yeah, yeah. you know, it's my own little sacred space. <laughs> yeah, we have this. Uh... You know, idea that we we you know we, we're getting to that age where we're thinking like okay we should build a commune because um yeah i don't know it's like a village to look after ourselves so we would just populate it with people that we knew and liked and uh live out in the middle of the desert or somewhere you know that sounds amazing yeah. post-punk kibbutz yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> that's a great uh, idea i know the idea of a commune sounds amazing and i'm very enticed by that as well i have some land so yeah oh well, there you go thinking about inviting people up There's something on my mind that I'd like to. I don't know how it'll fly, but it's it's because I've in all the from the first band, my first band in Liverpool, the guys in the band were still like figuring out, you know. And then the next band had a, a female singer, and then the next band I joined was the Slits. So I, had, I was working with three women that I'd worked very closely together. Ariana was 18, so very young still. And then I'm working with Susie. And since then, I've worked with Indigo Girls and most recently with Coco Rosie. Yeah. And I'm thinking, why am I always drawn to 
to these bands, uh, these ladies, these these women, female performers. And I remember thinking when I was with the Slits, and it becomes clearer after time that Tessa was a bass player. I always saw the bass as a very feminine instrument. But I also felt there's a, a strength and a liberation about all of these women that I've worked with and how strong they had to be, how much m more, how much stronger they yeah, had to be. Right. Yeah. The Indigos, Amy and Emily had to know much more about the frequencies on their guitar strings and how to shout, what to get rid of and what to need yeah. to know to the guys, always the guys at the side of the stage, because they had to not just hold their own, but step beyond that. Mm -hmm. Have you come across, is this, prompting any memories for you or is, is it, has it been, has it been tough at times? It's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst. You know, it happens all the time. It took me a long time to realize that's what it was. Cause I'm just like, why is everyone such a dick to me? Like, or why do they act like I don't know what I'm, what's going on or what, you know, but, or calling me the singer, uh, like I'm just the singer, which is whatever. Fine. I am maybe on tour. I am just singing, but like, dismissive you know and um yeah yeah usually from like house sound guys i'm sorry house sound guys but like that's just what happens yeah. <laughs> or like yeah. festivals um i've been well yeah. actually actually a lot by some monitor and sound engineers um yeah and then also just like being in bands with people and having power dynamic issues and stuff like that um and being compared to other women all the time other female musicians like we're not distinct entities but like we're competing for one like goddess archetype that only one of us can fulfill or whatever it's like no you're the dark witch like no she's the dark witch it's like can't we all be dark witches like i don't even want to be a dark witch like yeah. just let me make my music you, you know it's it, funny yeah. you, you should say that because i can remember like when i first met budgie way back in 1979 you know we we opened for the Banshees. And for me, it was a revelation, a good revelation, because I could watch Sue and, <clears throat> you know, she didn't put up with any crap from anybody at all, you know. And, and, and I watched a Decker guy in a bar once, you know, because he said something <laughs> stupid to her. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, but it was good because she was so uh, kind and understanding to the, you know, to different girls that came that were on the tour and you know people that were she was she was really to me she was the first you know like she was proto-feminist punk you know in lots of ways and and that helped me as a as a man you know readjust things in my in my mind into seeing oh okay some somebody with you know you have to have respect for them as a person is it's not a gender issue to me so you know it, it it changed and i i was very grateful for punk for that because it, there were several people in it that happened like that I, like poly polystyrene you know and people yeah. so it was uh but, but again i remember there was a like an article with viv albertine chrissy right. hind uh, polystyrene Susie sue yeah um and, and and they put them together because they were women women yeah. in in this right. world, right. and yet it, it was so so blatantly obvious they were such different forces, such different spirits. When mm. Chrissy Hine got on a a power trip about vegan uh, and and you know it, it was bombing fire bombing McDonald's, I think it was at the time. Yeah, right. and. Mm -hmm. But we, we, we all shared those 
feelings, but somebody would take it mm-hmm. the extra the extra mile. But I mean, I watched Susie, for instance, have to be the only female in an all male troupe for a decade, you know, yeah. traveling. Yeah, uh, and you know, I I would be the one that was singled out to you know do the shopping or get something, you know. It was like you were kind of acknowledging, but not acknowledging the female presence. It's strange. Mm. And yes, it came as blatantly when you get to a TV studio, and it can be one or the other. It's either Susie, yeah, and nobody else, yeah. And so that's kind of a weird inversion of it all, yeah. Which she would go, it's not. It's the band. It's not just me. And yeah, yeah. I feel like women get it, very easily tokenized in the music industry. And I think it's getting a lot better, but it's also, yeah. yeah, that is a weird experience to be on the road and be this road dog with all the boys, all the guys in the van mm. or in the bus or whatever. And you kind of like, I kind of like, you, you know, I mean, I feel like pretty balanced. I have pretty balanced masculine feminine traits, you know, so I don't know. But but then going to a space where it's like, oh, no, I'm like different than them. And then I'm like, well, I don't feel different. It, yeah, yeah, it's 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 weird. It's weird. It's weird, but you know, Just, yeah. Do what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Good philosophy. Good. Yeah, yes. <laughs> got to get through. Yeah. Well, ho- hopefully, you know the the thing I really like about th- th- this younger generation. You know, I have a son who's twenty nine, right? So mm-hmm. I I see a lot of things through his eyes, and I see that there's a lot less of the kind of nonsense that we grew up with. And, you know, there's a lot more understanding of, of people in general, you know, of, of their peers, of, of, of everything, you know, which that, that gives me hope. So, you know, when people go, oh, you know, think about the good old days, I go, no, today is the best day. Today is the best mm-hmm. day. You know, that's, that's yeah. it. It's the present moment. This is what we live with. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's true, that there is a lot of – progress being made. And I've even seen that within the past 10 years of my career. You know, I used to be physically compared to other women and I don't see that anymore. It's just, it's just very different. I do wish the record industry was better than it. Yeah. I feel like it used to be a little (laughs) bit better. Well, you know, I think what happened was, was, you know, it's the advent of, uh, you know, digital stuff and they all lost their minds completely and you know sued napster and went all over thing and then made terrible deals with you know the spotifiers and the pandora and and just you know basically you know shafted all the artists and you can't expect things to you know it has to be some reciprocation there otherwise it's not Mm going to work you know um but you know there, there are people there are enclaves of of people working to make it better i think i think i think yeah. we were just we were fortunate we were perhaps the, the last generation that were if you like nurtured by a caring aspect of the recording industry where the a and r person was your friend yeah right and would kind of not tell the boss what was really going on that, yeah you, know, you were writing this stuff on the fly in the studio and mm. it sounds great yeah really but don't bother them you know yeah that's so good. um but but also always that comes with that's a double edged sword because you had to pr- 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 you know produce something at the end yeah um, and I suppose with the advent of if you be more autonomy 
outside of the mainstream, um, it means there's a lot more people. There's no filter. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. You yeah. know, there's less of a filter, which I suppose the company was a filter, filtering system, good or bad, and then whatever they allow to slip through the net. <laughs> if if we were devious enough, yeah. <laughs> if, if, if enough deviance got through, <laughs> the, we know. And I suppose really that's not changed maybe because the the stranger that us deviants maybe mm. you know we we find a way yeah we find a way we always find a way so so nika, nika do you do you keep the world at bay or uh, do you do you I was just thinking about like I I just came across recently uh, malaria band here in Berlin. Mm -hmm. Love them. We knew when we came. Yeah, it's just like it, I'm finding inspiration from people who were around at the same time, but I never saw the films they were making. <laughs> and malaria made some like three wow. or four like great music videos. Wow, that's awesome. Like Gudrun is Gudrun still lives in the same street I used to I, when I moved to Berlin. She's still there up the street with Thomas Fiedler, who was the drummer with the Bad Seeds. Right. Still out there with Nick Cave. Berlin. Um, it's, it's It's a community. You have to find it, though. It's not yeah. there on the surface. Yeah. yeah. But do, do you keep – so you, you don't. I mean, you, you're, not, you're not keeping things at bay in case, like, too much influence is in from the outside? Um, I feel like at this point – I feel so disillusioned with everything. I mean, not with things like that, but in terms of, I feel like all influence is sort of, like that's an aspect of just being a human, is that, you know, nothing that you do is totally original. You're always working off of other things. There's being sort of influenced by things or inspired by things, and then there's just like directly referencing things. Yeah. Like I feel very influenced by Brian Eno right now. I feel very influenced by the way that he works. I feel influenced by, the way that he approaches sound right and you know i don't think it'll show up on my record necessarily but you know i think being influenced by things is it can be really good um because it can open you up to whole new modes of thinking or working but but just trying to copy something i don't do i, I i'm not i'm not, it's not my game so i'm not good you know if i see something and it's it's cool it might just energize me to make something even cooler or something <laughs> but yeah <laughs> I don't know. I don't really think about it, I guess. So. No, it's interesting. I like that. I, I'm just reading um, Paul Morley's an old old mate from Manchester who's who wrote a huge book on Bowie, um, you know. And there's a point where Bowie's here in Berlin with Brian Eno. Making low? Mm. Making low, making heroes, making the idiot with Iggy. And he was living on red peppers. Giton cigarettes and cocaine. And cocaine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but what's strange is when we were kids, we'd hear like say Mark Boland for the first time, and we go, "My, that's like you know, that's a like a Muddy Waters riff or a Howlin' Wolf or something," you know. And you'd go back and start researching somehow. And here I am talking about malaria and Kleenex and um, the Mordettes and the raincoats. And all these bands that were kind of around, and I'm I'm doing the kind of same, if you like, uh, historical research 
into my own past almost. It's a strange feeling because when you're in it and close to it, you're so focused on what you're doing. Yeah. You can you can miss a lot, yeah. And there's a lot of stuff to look at, so that's it's kind of. <laughs> well, I've, but I feel so, like I've also gone through that, but with with that time period as well. <laughs> so that was not even my my time period, and did not experience it. But I'm just like, oh my gosh, so much good music from this time period. Like, what was going on? <laughs> but I guess like maybe I should look around and go, oh my gosh, so much good music happening right now. Like, but maybe right. I'm looking back and going, oh, you know, things were so much more creative, but it's creative now. Maybe. Yeah. 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 You know, something that, that people of uh, our age will say to us, you know, from time to time is, oh, there's no good music now. And I tell them, no, you, you, you don't know. You're not looking in the right <laughs> just place. Not listening. That's it. You've forgotten where to look, you know. <laughs> That's not true. There's plenty of good stuff. I, I suppose. I suppose there is something. I mean, certainly here in, in Berlin, is there was a lot of stuff changing. Then mm. the, the wall was about to come down. When Bowie was here, when the Banshees first came here, the wall was still in place. Right. Uh, Hans John Studios was right next to the wall, right. and there was nothing around the studio. It was, right. it was blitzed. Yeah. Right. So, um, and perhaps that's why. You know, punk rock took off in the old east, right? Yes, and absolutely. was 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 embraced because it was so extreme, right? And they were and they would not allowed a voice that they could see a fashion statement. Yeah. in in London became a way of life here. You right. know? totally. So so maybe there is something in certain historical pockets. Yeah, yeah. but we're going through just an incredible transitional period right now. And that's why I think that I feel very excited musically to create and yeah. to experience other music because this is fervent material. We've got a lot to work with. Like there's a lot of <laughs> no, strife, yeah. a lot of grief, <laughs> tension. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, people yeah. need so much right now emotionally in their lives that I don't feel like they're getting from communities which are now have been obliter obliterated due to the, due to the pandemic and everything. And right. you know politics. Yeah, it's just kind of like this is. I think we're we're about to approach another really sort of fertile ground for arts to take hold and to shape communities yeah. because I think we desperately need it as we did back then. You know? Great statement. You're absolutely right. You know when when the, you get to the apex of all these things coming together, and then somewhere art provides the answer, and long may it be so. Thank you, Nika. Thank you, guys. This was really nice. I like talking about the sort of inner processes of creating because I'm very curious uh, how it's worked for you guys. And so this is... We should talk more. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all, I, I'll be back for episode <laughs> two, three, four. I don't know. <laughs> okay. You got yeah. it. So this is from Matt Mitchell. And he says something at the end, which you're going to like very much. Um, he says, hi, Lauren Budgie. I had an add-on thought as to why we know everyone's name from the post-punk era, at least for us in the US. 
You are all very talented, yes, and brought some very groundbreaking ideas on how to play instruments. But in the US, at least where I grew up, in a small southern town, the album jacket was all I had. I scoured every inch of those jackets, every photo, every hairstyle, every article of clothing, every member, every producer even. This was late 70s and early to mid 80s, so I was anywhere between 11 and 17 at the time. I didn't have access to the enemy and your magazines from the UK. Had to wait patiently for records to be special ordered to my record store, or if we got to go out to a larger city, persuaded my grandparents to take me to a sketchy part of town to a cool record store while they waited in the car. All I had were those brilliant album covers and inner sleeves, and I devoured that info. Which leads me to my question. Mm -hmm. Which of your own album covers are your favorites, and which are your favorite album covers of all time? Thanks a lot, Matt Mitchell. (laughs) P.S. My first rescue cat was named Budgie, after you. (laughs) Well, I'm totally flattered. Um, My my first Budgie was called Bobby, after Bobby Charlton. Uh, Bobby was good at football, right. Ta- table football, table football. Wow. Um, favorite artwork. Um, I was again just looking at uh, the early. Uh, there's just some um, remasters that were done for CD, and they were faithful reproductions of the of the artwork. And strangely, um, it was the. Um, Covers album, I think. Ah, okay. Through the through the Looking Glass, another yes. Wonderland Mandalas connection. Right. Um, but it, 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 I'm not sure how successful it was as a as a sleeve. Um, I'm I'm running through in my mind's eye that that again. I think Juju again was very relaxed. It was a first. We were working with a photographer we knew who did the videos we shot. There was a little team that we just put together. We'd finally got our little team together as well as the band. Right. Um, and I think we, we we just turned up and we were ourselves. There wasn't too much design going on. Right. Um, and it looked like a band and it felt like a band. And so we had to kind of work a lot after that point because the band kept changing. Right, right. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting because I've almost a similar experience. You're talking about, you know, you had your team together that, you know, were your guys. And with The Cure, there came a point where we had uh, our team together with with uh, Pearl. When he wasn't in the band, you know, he would do the mm-hmm. artwork for us. And uh, there's Pearl Thompson. And we had his his partner in... in uh, Parched Art, which was their their company they had for it all, uh, was Andy Vella, who's a photographer, mostly. Mm. And um, so we got the two of those together. If I think of the album, if I think of covers that I liked the best, it was the cover for The Walk, where it was just myself and Robert, and the the sleeve folded out to this picture with us all coloured in. And ve- I mean, it's most super goth crazy photo ever of us but it's right it's absolutely right and and you open the cover out and you have this fold out picture of, of me and bob in the back garden of the studio just you know, mm. looking so, very very psychedelically gothily key sounds like t-rex 
Yeah. Which is identified with that, that whole thing with Mickey Finn and, uh, you know, Mark Boland. Mark Boland yeah. Except yeah. I, I was, you know, I was no square with my corkscrew hair. I had, I had the curls, the Boland curls, but I didn't. Yeah. I, I always wanted the perm. Yeah. Bob had a, Bob had a perm at one point. <clears throat> he did. I remember. Yes. 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 Yeah. No, this question could go on as well because you were, see, <laughs> as soon as you, you, you tell me yours, I, I'm reminded that the, those first albums were within the Polydor art department, right? Robert, Robert Connor and Stilo Rouge, yeah. and, and those kind of guys. But then later on, we started to bring in our own independent people. Um, and it's much better when you do that as well, because then you know you have the. the I mean, you know, one of, one of the complaints that Robert had about the first album, which is actually, you know kind of uh justified i think was the the album cover didn't really represent us you know because chris had this idea chris mm. barry you know like well we'll just put three things on the front you know, make it as obscure as possible you know and that kind of backfired on us and him a bit but i think uh and he just got somebody from the polydor art department and said make us an album cover you know so i think what it was it it, it was it was um you know the economies of of making mm. it that were driving it. You know, but uh, you know, and also I think back then we didn't really know that. Hey, if we tell you the idea that we have, maybe you'll utilize it. And it might look like something that we quite like as well. Instead, we just sort of you know didn't really know that we could do that. You know? Did you have to like um, take cuts in your? You know, the, the artwork costs money. Yeah, I'm sure we did. I'm sure we did. I mean, you know, they were even putting things back then, which, you know, are nonsense now about, you know, breakages, you know, when records used to be 78. So we weren't making 78s, you know. No, but anything you did with a sleeve that wasn't just, you know, the yeah. regular run of the mill, like I yeah. mentioned through the looking glass, there was a square cut out at the front of the sleeve. Oh, my God. That's that's at least 5% off, off your yeah. royalties right yeah, there. Yeah. 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 We thought yeah. that would be cool. Uh, you know, um, what, think of another one. A oh, gold em embossing. That would always be a... Oh, yeah. No gold embossing. <laughs> can't, make look, gone. can't make it look like a Klimt painting. Forget that. No, we ain't, no, we ain't no. having that. Um, it makes you wonder, really, like how much the Rolling Stones ever earned off of sticky fingers. Well, yeah. we know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, somebody was saying they, they still got the copy. It must be 40 years old and the zip still works. Wow. Wow. And all, all the other albums, it was next to a completely destroyed. <laughs> one of one of my favourite albums like that, you know, the excess of the seventies. It might have been the very late seventies, maybe. Was uh, uh, Hawkwind down? I forget which one it is. It might have been in search of space, or it might have had this full booklet with it, with like all kinds of you know esoteric stuff in it, and the album sleeve folded out. You could put your hand through where the album came out and make yourself a shield, you know. Wow! So, so the, I might be conflating two albums here. So please, Hawkwind fans, don't get on me for it. But basically, I like both those ideas: the the the, the little book with all kinds of stuff in it and the shield it was great. Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer Dan Didier. Executive producer Mark Cates. Associate producer Sophie Wilde. Digital marketing Margie Taylor. Art and logo design Justin Thomas K. Music production Jack Knife Lee. 
Curious Creatures is on the web, and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com. And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2022.